0: Good morning, everyone. We are continuing in John's gospel account, looking this morning to John 8, verses 12 through 30. So, I spent time in this passage this week. It, um, it took me back to, to my first time flying into Africa, it was May. 2012, I was flying in by myself at night and was going to be picked up at the airport by team members whom I had never met. (laughs) Needless to say, there was a bit of anxiety building up within me. And Africa is known as the dark continent. I think I understood why as I flew in from the plane. You see, when you fly at night in the United States, you look down and you see lights of cities scattered about the thing that struck me flying in that night was the absence of light the absence of electricity there was this tangibly ominous feeling welling up within me due to the lack of light where do you experience the fear of the darkness? is in the quietness of your bed at night is your fear of darkness a physical fear of darkness or could it be a spiritual reality do you find yourself hiding in the shadows maybe afraid of the dark but at times possibly even more afraid of the light That night in in Tebe I had a mixture of emotions, anxiety, and yet excitement, awareness of the darkness around me, but anticipation of the light that morning would bring that would expose everything around me. It's a physical illustration, but as is so often the case, the physical so aptly illustrates the spiritual. And the truth in both the physical and the spiritual is that in the midst of the darkness, the light shines the brightest. That's what we see in this text today. As we prepare to go there, let me, let me pray, asking the Lord's blessing on our time together. Lord, you've called me simply to be a vessel. So let me get out of the way. Would you speak to us? Through your word, by your spirit, guide us as we are illumined by the light of the world. this we pray in Christ's name, amen. Dear friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said this to him, Therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. This is the word of the Lord. John 8, 12. It's the second of the I am statements that are contained in John's gospel. These I am statements, they combine a a powerful declaration of Jesus' deity, his identity, connected to a description of his mission so i am is the covenant name of god given by god in exodus chapter 3 yahweh in the in the hebrew and here seven times jesus clearly takes that name on himself declaring i am and then combining with it a description of his mission here in john 8:12 i am the light of the world deity and mission it's beautiful it's poetic. But what does it mean for Jesus to be the light of the world? A fundamental uh, interpretive truth of scripture is that the Bible interprets the Bible. The Bible explains the Bible. So when we're trying to understand what does Jesus mean when he says, I am the light of the world, we go to the Bible. And in John chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, as we began this journey through the gospel account, we saw that the apostle John wrote of Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. (laughs) The light had come into the world, and the darkness had not overcome it. Jesus came into the world as the light to shine in the darkness and to overtake the darkness. That's what light does. It overtakes the darkness. It does so by, by illumining all is in its presence. Jesus serves as the light of the world, the light new, illumining our own need. He illumines our need by exposing the reality of our sin. We need that because we can't see in the dark. I know it's hard for you to, uh, to grasp this, but I don't have a really good fashion sense. Uh, it's a dangerous thing, therefore, for me to get dressed probably in the light, but especially in the dark. And oftentimes, I start out with uh, my mornings with an early Bible study or an early meeting, and, and, and I'm trying to get dressed in, in the dark. And invariably, I show up with mismatched socks, the wrong belt, a crazy shirt, all kinds of fashion faux pas. And the worst part about it is that I have no idea. I am blissfully ignorant until I arrive at my destination and I. Enter into the light. And that light shows me at times just how foolish I look. (laughs) But isn't it true of all of us? In the darkness, we are blissfully ignorant of our own sin. We don't know our true state. That is what life is like without the light of Christ. Sometimes I think that Christians have this notion of non-Christians, that they are existing in this, this miserable state of unhappiness. The reality is, though, it's oftentimes just not the case. Many times Christians are very happy, though it is a settled and temporary happiness. The reality is they can't see their true need. They can't see their own sin unless that sin is exposed to the light. And Jesus, as the light, does just that, exposing our sin as our sin is set up against His glory. Jesus is righteous. Jesus is holy. Jesus is true. Jesus is wise. Jesus is beautiful and contrasted to his glory the reality of our sin is exposed as he sheds light on our lack his perfection exposes our sin and his spirit drives home the reality bringing clarity so that we see not merely your sin not merely the sin of others My own this is the illuminating work of light but beautifully Jesus as the light of the world does more than expose our sin Jesus as the light brings salvation <laughs> light is imagery that we find throughout scripture you find it throughout the Old Testament and Jesus fulfills that Old Testament prophecy. The delight. Many places we could go, but this morning my mind goes to Isaiah chapter 42, verses 6 and 7. This is this is God's prophecy of a servant. The servant to come. The servant who is Jesus. And this is God's prophecy through Isaiah. I am the Lord. I have called you, speaking of the servant, to come. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. To open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Do you hear it? It's the prophecy of Jesus bringing sight to the blind and bringing the prisoners out of the dungeon. Jesus is that chosen servant. He gives sight to the blind by illumining them, and he sets the prisoners free. It's the the picture of light that serves as an image of salvation. Jesus is the light, who not only shows the way of salvation, but who has secured it. He secured it by virtue of his perfectly righteous life and his sacrificial substitutionary death. And in securing this salvation, he did so for Jew and Gentile, for rich, for poor, for single, for married, for educated, for non-educated. He did it for all. All kinds. Because that's what the light does. It shines. It's the meaning of Jesus' words when he says, I am the light of the world. All who follow him, all who turn to him in faith will have life in his name. So the light wins. Period. The darkness has not overcome it. But the Pharisees tried. They attempted to challenge this testimony. The Pharisees heard the testimony. They heard Jesus' powerful statement, but they couldn't receive it. So they tried to throw it out. problem was they, they couldn't attack its content. The content of Jesus' words was irrefutable. They couldn't argue the content, so they tried to pick It out on a technicality. In other words, they're they're saying, Jesus, who do you think you are? You can't say that about yourself. You need other witnesses to testify to who you are. That won't fly in court. Deuteronomy 19.15 said that a single witness was insufficient in a court of law. To testify against someone, you needed at least two or three witnesses witnesses. Pharisees are trying to throw out Jesus's testimony on a technicality and so Jesus refutes them powerfully with two arguments in this text. The first argument is that he is the authoritative one. I understand that the requirement in Deuteronomy for two to three witnesses is meant to protect the accused. It's meant to level the playing field of authority because there can be a tendency, a temptation for authority to be abused in this context of accusation. And to protect the accused, there was the requirement to guard against the abuse of authority but jesus is the supreme authority he knows who he is he knows where he came from and he knows where he is going because he is the god man his word needs no validating corroboration jesus is the very source of truth the very source of authority almost as an aside but a very important aside at that there are implications for this argument for the way we are to understand the word of God. There are those who feel the need to sort of prove the word, to to look to some outside corroborating evidence so that they'll trust what is said here. Some Some sort of additional outside secular document maybe some account from the historical record that that comes alongside of the word and and if that corroborates it then they'll believe it understand this ironically many of those do exist but the word of god is authoritative because it is the word of god and god is authoritative And he speaks truth. He is the source of truth, the source of authority. Charles Spurgeon was once asked to defend the Bible, and he responded incredulously, Defend the Bible? I'd sooner defend a lion. You don't defend the Bible. You simply open its cage and let it roar. Jesus is the Lion of Judah. He needs no defense. And he is roaring truth in this word, is the light of the world. But there's a second powerful defense in Jesus' words here. Not only is Jesus the self-sufficient, authoritative one, but his testimony is not merely his own. He points to the Father who sent him who also bears witness to him. Verse 18 talks about this, but as Jesus unpacks what he means by the Father sending him, he speaks in, in, in the language of union. Jesus speaks of his union with the Father, and he speaks of, uh, on, on one hand, a union of being. It's, it's evident in, in, in the I am statement. Jesus is claiming deity. He is united to the Father, has been for all eternity. It's a union of being, but more than merely a union of being, Jesus is claiming a union of purpose. The Father who sent him is true. And Jesus declares that word, the word that he has heard from the Father. And the mission that the Father has sent him to accomplish is a mission that Jesus joyfully submits to in this union, Jesus finds purpose in his joyful submission to the purpose and the will of the Father. This is Jesus' testimony. It's a testimony to the Pharisees and to us. And in that testimony, there is admonition. Verse 15, Jesus says he judges no one. And yet, his presence brings judgment. Jesus' presence brings judgment on those who would reject his word. His presence brings judgment on those who would reject the life that he offers. So the admonition is this. Listen. Listen to his testimony and walk in it. So what does it mean to walk in the light? I'll offer a few thoughts. First, to walk in light is not merely to read the Bible, but to allow the Word of God to shape your life. This is the Word of Christ. It is about Jesus, it points to Jesus. And so we are to understand the Word, all of it, through the lens of Jesus. I've shared with y'all before that probably over the last year and a half, I've come to depend on readers. Age is setting in, much as I like to resist it. And particularly when I'm reading my, my uh, devotional time in the morning, I, I, I use my study Bible, and there's some really small fonts there. And so I need the readers. My much younger wife uh, resists the readers. Um, but she sits in, her, in the other room with her study Bible, not using glasses, but she takes her phone with the flashlight on the phone. And and with that flashlight, she's, she's reading with the light, illuminating the word. I mean, first of all, it's a cute picture. But more than that, it's an illustration. To read this word in the light, through the lens of the light of the world. Jesus is the flashlight on this word. We cannot read it, we cannot understand it, we cannot receive it unless we understand that every bit of this word points to Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let this word shape your hearts so that you can learn to live and walk in humble submission to the word. It's first thought on what it means to walk in the light. Secondly, follow Jesus by walking in the light, by living openly, publicly, and joyfully in the light of the body, the body of Christ. You know this. You do. But isolation is darkness. Light is community. To walk in light is to live openly and publicly with one another in a knowing, loving, engaging community that is God's design for the church. Secret sin thrives in the darkness. Secret sin thrives in the shadows. As we try and keep the community at bay without letting them in. It is a grace that we have a community of messed up believers to share our messed up lives at the foot across. That is a grace. Because there's power in the darkness. Sin controls us in the darkness. And so there is biblical wisdom throughout. James 5.16 says to confess our sins to one another. Not so that we can one another issue atonement for our sin. No, so that we can live publicly in the body of Christ. James says it that way. 1 John through 10 combines this confession before the Lord and our living in community. It says to walk in the light is to confess our sins before the Lord and to have fellowship with one another. And in so doing, receive the cleansing forgiveness that is offered to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, when we live that way openly and honestly with one another, it builds a humble empathy in our hearts. can receive the openness and honesty of others. That's the beauty of community that is walking in the light together. Here's a third thought though on what it means and how are we to walk in the light. To walk in the light is to remain in the light. Don't go back. Don't go back to the darkness. Christians have been granted freedom in Christ to live and to enjoy the light of community, of Christ, and yet many of us don't know how or won't experience it. There was a movie that came out several years ago um, titled Same Kind of Different as Me. I don't know if you've seen the movie. If you haven't seen the movie, don't see the movie. Get the book. The book is better, as is always the case, but either way, it's, it's a great story, and I won't give away the storyline, though I'll tell you there's much for us to learn there. It's the storyline of a, of a wealthy uh, art dealer in Fort Worth, Texas, who, who invited a homeless man into uh, his life and in, in his home. There's a particular scene that is, is striking in this in this context. Ironically, the the art dealer is the one who's actually coming to the light in this story. But the scene illustrates the point I'm trying to make here. Ron and Debbie Hall had had invited Denver into their lives and in their home, and and Denver had lived most of his life as a homeless man sleeping on park benches and and on the hard ground floor. And so there's one particular night when when Ron went into the bedroom to check on Denver and he found him not sleeping in the comfort of the bed but but lying on the hard ground he'd been given access to all that was the families he'd been brought in to the family and yet he's stuck with his old ways what he knew again it's a physical illustration But it points to a deeper spiritual truth. You and I in Christ have been adopted into the family of God, made full heirs, (laughs) children with access to the Father before the throne of grace. And yet, for so many of us, we go back to the darkness, we live in the shadows, caught by the shame, the fear. By the hiding, we remain. Friends, don't go back. Life in the light is life as you are intended to live. Walk in it. But ultimately, we walk in the light by reorienting our worldly definition of glory and embracing the true glory. Of Christ Jesus, a glory that is made manifest most supremely on the cross. Jesus in verse 21 tells the disciples or the Pharisees, I'm going away and where I'm going you cannot come. It's telling them that the light will go away. But that light that goes away will not dim. What is he saying? He says, I'll go away. I'm done with this. I'm done with these questions. I'm done with these challenges. I'm taking my light and I'm going home. The Pharisees wanted to know too. And they started asking, what does he mean when he says he's going away? Is he going to kill himself? No. Jesus was not going to kill himself. He was going to give himself. The light of the world is going away, but the light will not dim. In fact, it will shine brighter than ever. Verse 28 tells us when it will shine brighter than ever, when the Son of Man is lifted up. Verse 28 explains what Jesus means when he says, I will go away. When the Son of Man is lifted up is when the Son of Man is lifted up on the cross. They can't go there in their unbelief. But he is going to the cross, and there at the cross, Jesus tells them that they would know his true identity. It's confusing for us. We, we wrestle with that on multiple fronts because many of them did not get his identity. And we also want to know, how did an instrument of death, a brutal instrument of death, become the pinnacle of light? It did so because this wasn't a common criminal dying a death that he deserved. This was God, the Son, who went to the cross willingly, lovingly, to die the death that you and I deserved. And in this description of going to the cross. In these verses, there is a powerful, almost hidden statement. In verse 24, Jesus says, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am He. In verse 28, He says that when the Son of Man is lifted up, you will know that I am He. They missed it. They'll get it later, later at the end of this chapter. But But it was hidden from their understanding, and it's almost obscured from our sight because the translators here translate verse 24 and 28 by saying, you will know that I am he. But in the original, it doesn't say I am he. In the original, verse 24 24, says, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am. In verse 28, it says, when the Son of Man lifted up, you'll know that I am. Period. Stop. Stop. Jesus is declaring his deity to all who would listen and is showing that his deity, his glory, would shine the brightest from the cross. Do you see it? Do you see it? For some, this light that he brings is a partial light. For some, the the partial illumination comes in the form of I can see the other person's sin so clearly. For others, the partial illumination of the light is I see my own sin. But I'm stuck there. I don't know what to do with it or where to take it. The rest of the picture is less clear. Thursday morning, I when I, got out of, I walked out of the house. I, I went to my car to get in the car and come here to my office and write this sermon. It was not one of those leave-in-the-dark mornings. It was daylight, and so as I came out of the house on Thursday morning, I could see where my car was. But if you remember Thursday morning, there was a deep, dense fog that covered everything. I could see where I was. I could see my car, but as I backed out of the driveway and came down the street, it was hard to see my destination. My path was blocked. Some of us are living in the fog. Our sin has been illumined, but we cannot see the destination. We do not know what to do with that sin, and if that is you this morning, if you are caught in the fog of recognizing your sin but but stuck with it, hear the word of God. The light shines brightest from the cross. It is the place of Jesus' greatest glory. It is the place where Jesus and his mission is most known because at the cross, the sin that is illumined is the sin that is cleansed. Not all saw and understood Jesus' identity from the cross. Not all knew that Jesus was the Son of Man, the Son of God, but those who do, Those who come to recognize Jesus as the Son of God do so because of the light that they see from the cross. So for those stuck in the fog of partial illumination, Jesus does offer the warning, you will die in your sins. But embedded in that warning is an invitation, you don't have to. You do not have to die in your sins. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe on him and walk in his light. Enjoy his bride and do not turn back to the darkness. Because in the light, there is life. And life abundant. Lord Jesus, your, your words are powerful. Your words are true. Your words are convicting. Your words are inviting. And I pray that all who hear your words this day would heed the invitation to come and walk in your light May it be so as your spirit works powerfully among us. Do so, we pray, for the glory of Christ and for our good. In his name we pray.